Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. For sure that most of the other 12 of the original disciples by this time had already been martyred. Because John was the one that lived the longest. He died a natural death according to church history. <clears throat> And these letters may have been written near the end of his life. That's what most people think. And so this is John, uh, who we read through the story. He was close with Jesus. But he also, this is after years, after decades of ministering in the church and suffering for Christ because of it. And he's writing a letter to the church expressing his, his heartfelt convictions. He said, children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. This, then, is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. And when I came across this, I thought, wow, this is a perfect theme for this series. I wish I had found this verse a few weeks ago. Before we started the series, we would have started every sermon, but... You know, I just had to put it in this time. Uh, So I don't know if you can see in here, but all three of the aspects of our series are reflected in this verse. One is our words. And the Greek that is translated words doesn't mean just words. It means reason. It's the Greek word logos or logos. And it means thought. It means ideas. The, the, the idea is the reason behind the words. And that's the orthodoxy. And we had a couple of messages on right thinking, how to understand God's word and God's ways and get that right in our heads. And we need that. We can't love just in words. We need to also love, as John says, in actions. And that's the Greek word uh, ergon, which means deeds, doing something. Work, laboring, our hands, we do accomplish it with our hands. And so that's uh, the theological term is orthopraxy. So how many have ever been to an orthodontist? All right, why do we take our kids to an orthodontist? Braces so that we can have straight teeth. So ortho means straight, okay? It means being in alignment. Proper alignment. So orthodoxy, doxy is having our ideas, our thought processes in proper alignment. Orthopraxy is having our practices, what we do in alignment with God's truth. And then we, the next two weeks, um, we will be talking about uh, having our hearts right. And that's the Greek word cardia, which we still use uh, to reference heart, cardiology. Uh, and that includes our feelings, our emotions, but also our affections. Um, and so uh, what we are passionate about. And so the theological term for that is having straight pathos, orthopathos. Uh, and so all three must combine together. And when we do that, and we see that all three of these in this verse, then we, we are at rest in his presence. We're in alignment with God, and we're in peace. And that's really the goal of this series and this whole year, uh, that we can become people of grace and truth. So... Right from the beginning, if you could do something for me, if you have an ancient technology called a pen, and this stuff called paper, if you still have any, 
or if you're like me, just whip out your phone. <laughs> and you ever send yourself an email? Yep. I do about 10 or 15 times a day, okay? Because if you want to get my attention, you have to send me an email. That way it's waiting for me when I turn on my computer. It's just there. So write yourself an email. I'm serious. Take this out. Jot two or three things that you believe. Orthodoxy. Now, not like you believe the earth is flat or round. I don't really care about that. All right. Something you believe based on your faith. All right. Can you just take a second? Even if it's, you know, Jesus is Lord or something. Two or three things that rise first come to your mind that you believe based on your faith. And we'll return to this at the end of the message. While you're doing that, I'm going to tell you a little story. A few years ago, I was driving down the road, <clears throat> and it was a blazing hot day, especially for Michigan. It was just, it was probably 108, and a sun, not a cloud in the sky. It was just unbearable. And this is a few years back. I used to drive this old pickup truck that didn't have air conditioning, and I loved that truck. <laughs> it was just fun. It was like a go-kart. And I was riding home, and, and my boys were still little. <clears throat> So I was going to go home, grab them, take them to the beach, right? And so before I left uh, uh, the church, I actually had a cooler, threw some ice in it, and a bunch of water bottles. <clears throat> I'm flying down the highway, and I, I notice a car off to the side of the road, and normally I can't do anything, because if there's a broken car, I'm no good. All right? I'm, I'm like, yeah, your car's broke. <laughs> I can't do anything to fix a car, all right, except call my auto service. <laughs> I'm broke, come and help. So I'm not the kind of guy that can fix cars. Um, but I, uh, it was a hot day, and I noticed that there, the dad, and there were three uh, teenagers uh, walking. I thought, obviously, their car broke down, and they got to walk to the next exit. It had to be at least a mile, maybe a mile and a half in this horrible heat. And so I was I whipped off the road. <clears throat> they walked up. I said, hey, you know, I know it's not legal, but you know, hop in the back of my truck, because it, it was an S10. You can only fit two adults in it. <laughs> right? If you want to hop in the bed of the truck, I'll, I'll take you up to the next road. And the dad probably made the right decision in saying, no, no, we're okay. We'll just walk. <clears throat> I could see his kids go, oh. <laughs> But then I said, well, at least have a bottle of water. And I opened up this cooler, and seriously, this is what they saw, is a whole bunch of water bottles on ice. And especially the daughter, the teenage daughter, her face lit up like it was Christmas morning. I'm telling you. She was like, <gasps> just like, you know, you knew that she was just dreaming of a water bottle, you know, and then this complete stranger shows up with a whole box full of them on ice. And so they were very grateful. They all grabbed a bottle of water or two, and, and I took, up and took off. And I, I'm not going to get any re reward for that because just seeing her face <laughs> was reward enough. They were so happy. But there's a, an old, a couple old sayings. Actions speak louder than words, right? Or I like it the way Ben Franklin put it. Well done is better than well said. Right? And so this message is about our actions, because our actions speak. 
better uh, speak much louder than what we say. <clears throat> and we want to hear from the Lord, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you know, and not just get to him and have him go, well, big difference, huh? All right, Matthew seven sixteen. <clears throat> you will know them by your fruits, Jesus said. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. All right? God knows our hearts, but we only know, we, we have to judge people, we have to know people by their fruits. And fruits are what they do, what they produce. And Jesus is saying, if, if something is not producing good fruit, it needs to be cut down. And uh, it says the whole tree here, but I grew up in an orchard, you know, and I, I remember every year my father pruning the orchard. We had a, quite a large orchard. We had all kinds of stuff. But the orchard was, was quite large. And I remember all of the branches that were pruned because my brothers and I had to drag those branches back to the back 40, literally 20 to the back 40, we had 40 acres, <laughs> and into a giant pile there. Every year it was a lot of work because those were unproductive branches and, uh, and they would suck life from the tree that life was supposed to be directed in the fruit. And so just like the image that Jesus is saying is we need to cut off the things in our life that doesn't bear godly fruit. He goes on and says a little later, he says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, it's not good enough just to hear Jesus and believe him. Thank you, Dale. You have to do it. I, it's to them. I liken him or her to a wise person who builds their house on the rock. What gives us stability in life? Hearing Jesus and then acting upon what we hear. One more verse from the Sermon on the Mount, same section of the Scripture. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it... If it if it's lost its flavor. Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot and worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. I love this, what Jesus says here. He's, he's speaking your identity over you, all right? Yes, he said this to those who were listening to him 2,000 years ago in, in some field in Israel. But I'm telling you, Jesus is saying this to you today if you receive it from him. All right, This is his word. I'm repeating it, but it's his word. You are the salt of the earth, folks. You are the salt of the earth. 
You are the light of the world. Jesus didn't say, I am the light of the world. Jesus didn't say he was the salt of the earth. He said, you are. He's communicating to us what our identity is. But he also goes beyond that and says, listen, you need to live out your identity. You need to be who you are. Because if you're not, then it's useless. <clears throat> so let's just con- uh, to try to come up with some examples um, that might make some sense. Maybe they do, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll help you. Hopefully they will. But let's say, you're, um, let's say it's a little warmer, maybe a month ago. <laughs> in Michigan, fall, <clears throat> and you're up north or out in the woods, and there's a beautiful river, one of the bigger rivers in, t- in, in the state, which we have some gorgeous rivers, and it's been a wet season. So there's a lot of water, rivers are filled, <clears throat> and you're sitting there and just enjoying the beauty of watching the river, and you notice something upstream, some commotion, and, and you see an overturned boat, and that goes by, and then you see somebody flailing in the water. And you're sitting there, and you, you happen to have an inner tube, or maybe a rope, or a, um, you know, a life jacket, and you know, it doesn't really matter if you, if you go, I believe you're in trouble. Hey, you're, you're in trouble. You should do something. Right? That doesn't really matter, does it? Or, Dude, man, I'm really sorry. You're drowning. I feel bad for you. What good is that? You can have the right heart. You can have the right understanding. But if you don't pick up that inner tube or the rope and throw it out to the guy, what good are you? You know? Or if you're walking down the street and somebody asks you for, for some money. And this, you know, gets a little sensitive. But I was challenged a few years ago by a friend of mine. His name is Steve Orsillo. And he does work with, with um, uh, basically what he does is rescue homeless people off the streets. And he's got a, this ministry that has a bunch of houses. And he gets them in rehab. And uh, we actually sent one of our young guys out there. And spent, he spent years helping them. And, but he said, Jesus said, whoever, give to whoever asks. And I looked it up. I think it's in Matthew. It's in, somewhere in there. Luke, it's Luke 6. <clears throat> and, and Steve Ursula said, how hard is that to ob- obey? Give to whoever asks. And so from, it challenged me because, first of all, I never carry cash. And this really challenged me. I, was, I just spent a few weeks in Mexico and um, I was in a city in Puebla, not where I normally go. I went down there actually to be a student, not to teach. And, um, uh, and so Puebla is a, a prosperous city in Mexico. It's much wealthier than anywhere else that I normally go, where I go to teach. And so I was actually surprised when I first, I, wa- I went to get something to eat, and I was walking back to where I was staying, and I went around the corner, and there was this young woman with a child on the line, sitting and lying on the street, and she had just this little sign, you know, please help, homeless. And you know what? My heart went out to her. I was like, oh, because you could tell she was desperate. And down there, they don't have the infrastructure, you know. But I didn't have any cash, and you know what? Well, that's my driver's license. She couldn't take a credit card, right? And, and it took me by surprise, and so I was like, the whole way back, this is a 20-minute walk to my place, I was going, oh, man, I felt so bad. It's like, maybe I should get some cash and go back. I'm like, ah. 
Uh, from that point on, I never left my uh, Airbnb where I was staying without making sure I had 10 or 20 pesos, which is enough to eat for a day in Mexico or uh, in my pocket, just so I could throw in, you know, a 10 peso coin. <clears throat> uh, and the, it wasn't for their benefit. It was for my obedience. Jesus doesn't say give to whoever asks after you vet and make sure that they're going to use it properly. Okay, there's a time and a place for that. People come to us for help uh, up in Kalamazoo, and I'll say, sure, we'll help you. Uh, if you need a place to stay, we'll take you to the mission. You know, oh, I don't like being in the mission. They have a lot of rules. Well, <laughs> those rules are good for you, you know. And so, so we use that filter. But if it's just walking down the street, does it, does it really cost anything to have a dollar and say, hey, man, and maybe you don't have a dollar, uh, and you can't give them something physical, bless them, all right? But uh, that's just an example that we need, to, we need to do something, do anything. Or maybe there's an older person on your street or in your neighborhood, and you know no one ever visits them. Maybe you could make time once a month, knock on their door. Is everything okay? You know, I notice you're... Yard needs raking. Can I take care of that for you? Jesus compared in those verses our actions to being salt. Not what we believed, not how we felt, but what we did. And salt influences its environment. It causes change. All right? It brings transformation. Your body would die without the right amount of salt. All right? Salt preserves it was a very, very expensive, valuable thing in Jesus' day. Everyone knew what he was talking about when he used that image. Jesus compares our actions to being light. All right? And light dispels the darkness. It causes, if we want darkness to flee in our community, if we want this nation to change, we need to do based on our beliefs. Motivated by the right heart, in line with God's truth, and we will see darkness flee. But it's got to go beyond belief. Jesus said to the crowds in Matthew 23, he said <clears throat> to his disciples, the crowds and his disciples, he said, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses, so practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease a burden. What did the Pharisees get right? Jesus said they got something right here. What did Jesus say they got right? What did the Pharisees get right? What they taught. They interpret the law. And so what they taught, Jesus, was, Jesus told them, obey what they teach you. What did they get wrong? Everything else. <laughs> yeah, they were saying it right, but they weren't doing it. 
And Jesus told his disciples, okay, listen to what they say, but, then, but don't follow their examples. Listen, folks, I, I hate to say this. It's not this church. You guys are perfect. But other churches and other Christians, America especially, is filled with Christians that know so much and do so little. Okay? Which makes us really good Pharisees. And I don't want this church to be a Pharisee school. All right? Let's not be better Pharisees by just learning more. Let's challenge ourselves to find a way to do more. Learning is important. We need to learn. We need to understand truth. But we need to connect it with action. How was Jesus' ministry different from those of the Pharisees? What did Jesus do differently? Everything. Specifically. What are a few specific things Jesus did that the Pharisees didn't do? He, he demonstrated what he taught. How? What's that? He, so he healed people. Bam, what else did he do? He fed people. Jesus had a feeding program. Well, of course, he kind of used some miracles to do that. <laughs> Feeding 5,000 with a few fish and a few loaves of bread. But he, not just once, but frequently, he fed people. You know, anything else? He lived with sinners. I mean, that's powerful. He, he didn't avoid the people that everybody else avoided. He actually went out of his way to be with people that were untouchable. You know, he made them feel comfortable in his presence when everybody else wasn't comfortable being around them. He touched people. Uh, he helped oppress people. You know, and even his teachings uh, helped people. And do you think people would have followed Jesus if he hadn't done what he did? You, know, you take the New Testament, you take the gospel stories, and if you crossed out all of the actions that Jesus did, there's not much left. Right. All right. And of course, his final act is dying on the cross, giving his all for the benefit of others. All right. And so Jesus' whole life was an act of faith. Um, and even his teaching, as I said, <clears throat> helped people and didn't just burden them with more religious uh, uh, obligations. Um, now, Ephesians 2, I've got to keep going here. <clears throat> Don't slow down. Uh, uh, famous verse, probably everyone here can quote it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Listen, this is an absolute cornerstone of faith, cornerstone of truth. It's unchangeable. Uh, no one gets into heaven through what you do. All right, that's not what we're talking about. All right, no matter how many good works you do, you will never be able to make up for the fact that we are born as sinners and are disqualified from even being in God's presence, let alone living in God's presence for eternity. And the only way that we can access the presence of God is through grace and faith, through the death of Jesus Christ, who took the penalty of our sin upon himself so that we could have the 
benefit of his righteousness and live in relationship with Jesus Christ. That doesn't change. <clears throat> but that doesn't mean that our actions are not important. In fact, the next verse says, for or because, or for this reason, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, this should be the result of living by grace. All right? And is that we walk in the good works that we were created to work. And the, the word for work there is the ergon, the same word that is translated work in 1 John that I read earlier and in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the idea of actions. Uh, actions that are the produce, the fruit of our faith. <clears throat> and so uh, this builds on that verse in Ephesians. And of course, this is the passage for uh, works in the New Testament. In fact, Martin Luther... You know who Martin Luther was, led the Reformation, and he trumpeted this idea, which in his day, in the late 1500s, was like a new revelation that we're saved by grace, not by works, because the Catholic Church at that point had gotten so works-oriented. Martin Luther didn't think the book of James should be in the Bible. <laughs> he argued against it. All right, but he was wrong <laughs> because yeah, God had decided that many, many centuries earlier. And uh, James says, uh, Someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there's one God, you do well. Okay, orthodoxy. You have the right belief. Even the demons believe Ooh. and tremble. They know there's one God. They know who he is. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered his, uh, Isaac his son on the altar? He had to do something. He had to actually take his son up to that mountain and build an altar and put his son on it. And yes, God stopped him from killing his son and provided the lamb, but he had to do it. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect or complete or mature? <clears throat> and the scripture was fulfilled, which said, Abraham believed God. So the fulfillment of the scripture, Abraham believed God, was when he did that work. And it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. I want to be a friend of God. Right? You see then, a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Wow. Why do you think James, the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, wrote that 2,000 years ago? Any ideas? A lot of people because there were people not living out their faith. They needed to hear it. 
This is the first century church, folks. Jesus, according to uh, uh, church tradition, or James was the, the, the son of Mary. Okay? As far as we know, he was Jesus' half-brother. All right? That's how soon, how quickly the church has gotten to the place that people are, as long as I believe the right ideas, I'm good. I'm a Christian. I've made the confession of faith. And James has gone, no, people. And he was writing to his church and the church of the first century. And if that church so quickly fell into the error of not connecting their actions with their faith, how much more easy is it for us, so far removed, to do the same thing? And as I said earlier, uh, the church today is, 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 is this epidemic. We, we, need, we need to work harder at connecting our actions with our beliefs and our hearts. And this is the last verse, and then I'll be done. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, this is not the judgment seat to determine whether or not you get into heaven. Right? Because that is determined only by whether you've confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and, 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 and followed him. You believe that he died on the cross for your sin, that God raised him from the dead, and you've confessed him as Lord. And uh, again, that's how you get into right relationship. But, for every believer, there's going to be a day where we will appear before Jesus Christ. That each one may receive what is due him or her for the things done while in the body. That means, how many are in your body? <laughs> I try to stay in my body. I'm there most of the time. <laughs> Whether good or bad. Here's another version of it, message. Sooner or later, we'll have to face God, regardless of our condition. We will appear before Christ and take what's coming to us as a result of our actions, either good or bad. And so I want to ask you a question. What actions will be judged? And so most people, because we have been so good at preaching the truth that we're saved by faith and not by works. Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are going to get to heaven and they're going to get to heaven and they're going to go, wait, there's, what, now I have to go see Jesus? And I don't know how it's going to work out. I, this, is a miracle, this is a mystery. But I believe somehow God has got the capacity that he's going to have time to spend with each one of us and go, hey, remember when, when you did that? Yeah, Lord. Yeah, that was really good. Oh, thanks. Thanks, God. You did great. You're going to get a reward for that. And remember when you helped out those people and you, you loved on them even though it hurt, hurt? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. That was hard. You did good. You're going to get a reward for that. That was great. Oh, thanks, God. And remember when you did this and, and uh, you were really selfish and like, yeah, yeah. He said, well, that wasn't so good. So let's talk about that. All right? It doesn't mean we're not forgiven of those sins. I, and I think, and again, this is me just thinking. Uh, all I know is the scripture says that, and you've got to deal with that. I've got to deal with that. That's going to happen. And my job is to tell you it's going to happen because it's in the book. 
So I'm, I'm covered. <laughs> All right. I want to live life so that when I'm standing there, it's mostly good. All right. But I also have a feeling, this is where my, how does this work in the whole theology of it? I have a feeling that after that conversation, I'm going to be able to spend eternity with Jesus without ever having any sense of regret because you know what? We've talked about it. It's good. Nothing can be brought up. Does that make sense? Uh, because I'll know it's, it's, there's been compensation. Uh, and this is the aspect of God meeting out justice to the complete measure of justice, even for Christians. And uh, for you and I, for me, what it means is I need, to, I need to be conscious of my actions so that I can stand before him and, and hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. So I ask you to write down two or three things. And what I want you to do after this uh, uh, today or later today or with some friends is connect <coughs> those beliefs with some action. How do those beliefs shape your actions? And I want you to get specific. Uh, list something you did within the last week or two or something you're going to do this next week that demonstrates that you believe Jesus died for every man, woman, and child. Okay? Or demonstrate that Jesus died on the cross for payment for your sins. That's a great idea. But it's actually powerless unless there's an action tied to it. And if you have a hard time figuring out what you can do or what applies, then talk to somebody. Uh, and, and pray about it and ask God. And then ask yourself, what if there's actions you're doing that are contrary to your belief? What does that reveal? And how can you deal with that? There's actually a handout. It's on the table right next to the door. In, up in Kalamazoo, we're actually using this for our community groups. I know you guys did community groups earlier. So I did this handout for the community group, so I made, there's 30 copies, and if, you, if, if they run out, just email me, I'll shoot you a PDF of it. It takes the same scriptures with the same questions, so that you can uh, dig deeper, and let's not be better Pharisees, okay? Can we commit to that? <laughs> and be better Christians by demonstrating, by glorifying the Father, by doing good works. Would you join with me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you've given us grace not only to be saved, but to be changed and to be agents of change. And I pray that everyone here would uh, have saving faith, that they are in right relationship, and they would not leave here without making that commitment of accepting you as Lord of their life and, and coming into the family of faith by confessing Jesus Christ as Lord. And Father, I pray for all of us that we could be better at being Christ followers, better at being salty and being full of light uh, by living in a way that demonstrates your goodness every day of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.